0: Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome again to Coffee with Algomi Consulting, with me, your host, Pierre-River Today's podcast is part of our series titled 360 Degrees Readiness. As you recall, we're looking at ways the investment management industry is shaping or reshaping their business models in a fluid and volatile environment. In this context, we're going to talk today about an ongoing trend in the industry, which is the consolidation of service providers. To discuss this topic, we're joined by two senior experts from the industry. Ned Kabir, who is joining us from Xamboa slash Belgium. Good morning, Junaid. Morning. And Stephen O'Brien, who's joining us from Dublin. Good morning, Stephen. Morning, Pierre. Both Jeanette and Stephen are partners with the consultancy Parva Consulting which operates across Italy, Ireland, and Luxembourg. The recent news of the acquisition of RBC Investor Services by Kaseis follows similar transactions across the industry. A few pressing questions must come to mind Lexos oversees overseeing global fund operations and who outsource their activities to service providers. What is the rationale for such transactions? What are the benefits for the entities involved? What is the impact of such transactions for my firm and my clients? What's more, acquisitions or mergers of service providers pose significant servicing and operational risks, which investment managers must mitigate and proactively manage. We'll examine this in this episode and discuss how to future proof operations when service providers are consolidated. We're delighted to have both Jeanette and Sivana on this podcast as part of a collaboration model that our consultancies are starting to develop. On that note, can I ask you to
1: introduce yourself, Gillette and Stefan? Thanks very much. I have 30 plus years of experience in various industries. I worked in the petrochemical business for many years and then I switched into the financial services. I switched from being somebody that the banks were interested in giving me money to the other way, where I started giving money. I've been based pretty much all over the world, and the last five, six years, I've operated out of Luxembourg, supporting the consulting of asset servicing and asset management. Brilliant. So you're on the first row observing what happens with service providers. It's a very interesting position. We have a very wide sort of not just knowledge, but conversations with different parts of our business. And then because we're a specialist firm, we get asked many intricate questions within our area of expertise. And that's been really interesting and eye-opening. And it gives us a very personal view of how we can support our clients when
2: they go through any particular process.
1: Thank you, Janet. How
0: about you, Stephen? Can you tell us about you?
2: My name is Stephen O'Brien. I'm the Parva Irish Business. My first job is for an asset manager here in Ireland, not just working with the asset management functions, but actually doing the fund administration within the asset management organization when In those days, there was a trend to keep the administration and the asset management together. I moved in the late 90s to Luxembourg, actually, where I started to learn a lot more about the cross-border business. And then I returned about 10 years ago to Ireland, where I worked within business transformation within the fund services sector. In 2018, we set up the Irish business for Parva. Parva was born in 2005 in Milan. The original idea was... That there was a gap at the time where it was felt that the consulting offering uh, in the market, certainly in Italy, maybe lacked some of the industry knowledge in terms of its delivery of consulting and advisory to the sector. It led to the company really itself around having knowledge of the products, the processes, the pain points, the regulations and bringing the traditional consulting skills in helping clients to adapt to change as and when it happens.
0: So looking at those consolidation of providers, why is this consolidation trend happening in the industry? What's behind it? Is it a reflection of anything special we need to understand about the funds industry?
1: The fundamentals are like any other thing which is maturing, which is that there is a massive cost to keep up with what we've always been talking about, the regulatory change aspects, but also on the servicing aspects. These are increasing and astronomical. This forces different parts of the industry into discussing with potential partners to see if they can bring any synergies. We see that in different markets, including in asset management market. And I think we see the same thing in the asset servicing market, where... If you look, there are two very big players who have consolidated the market in the last 20 years. Then you have still a bunch of what I'd call mid-sized players. They have to find a niche that gives the right to live and the right to service. But even then, it becomes hard. And therefore, you have to look for partnerships and you have to look at how you can grow your model, service your clients. The second part could be on defensive area. If you're too small, you might get gobbled up by somebody you're not interested in. Mm -hmm. So you might as well make the first move and try and find the right fit for you, your team, and your technology. And that brings me maybe to the third point, which is on technology. So everybody I know have spent money in technology, and they'll say that. But when you dig deeper it's which bit are they spending money on and everybody's got a different specialization that they've spent the money on so some people may be better at TA and some people in in accounting and some people in distribution services and so everybody's spent their hard-earned cash but it's not enough because you actually need to raise the game in all areas and therefore by having these
2: mergers you might be able to cherry-pick the nice bits of that deal. I think the industry at the moment, as you rightly pointed out, Junaid, it's starting to concentrate in different areas, and different companies are now starting to figure out within the sector where they need to go. A lot, Very large players, which would probably be State Street and Bank of New York, are obviously looking at scale, which I think is important to note that. And then, as Junaid pointed out, in the mid-tier, we're starting to see companies maybe starting to look at particular areas that they have strength and they're going to invest in that and maybe not compete with the large players on scale. We've got new players coming into the market. I think SSNC and c and FNZ, although they're not new, but they are BPO scale players that are coming in, both in the insurance and in the fund sector, and that's new competition. And then you've got the traditional players, the universal banks, that in some ways, the fund services offering is kind of an add-on, really, in many respects. But what it does do is that the universal banks like J.P. Morgan, BNP Paribas, B&P City Group, they actually can offer a much wider range of services that maybe the asset management firm would like to avail of from those companies that maybe other firms don't have.
0: You talk about scale. You talk about cost management you talk about increasing capabilities, geographic coverage, product coverage and yes we can see indeed some of the service providers which are specialized in alternatives moving towards the traditional usage fund. What is the impact of the consolidation of service providers for asset managers? How do you experience that when you are a CXO overseeing global operations, seeing your service provider being taken over by another one or preparing to take on over another one.
1: What does it mean for you? If I take from the client service point of view, so normally this is a, a fundamental sort of thought when these merges happen, is like, how do we better service the client? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, you're not going to spend a bunch of cash acquiring somebody or merging and not give better service. Now, the service may come in different areas. If I take just on what we call CRM or client coverage, in general, when you have this kind of mergers, you have an expanded client coverage team because different companies have different ways of looking after their clients. There are different models. There's the model where you have the sales is very pure, the client relationship manager where it's only relationship And then you have a client service manager who does the service delivery part. Or you have a mix where the CRM does both service delivery and the relationship management and helps the client on understanding different products that you have on your portfolio as a service provider. So there are different nuances. And there's geographic. Some people put focus on language skills. Other people on technical skills to support the client. These things normally should add up to a positive as an asset manager looking for these. The other thing that I would see from my point of view is, in general, the coverage, a geographic coverage, should expand. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. So if that happens, then the distribution capabilities should increase And therefore, as an asset manager, this is something fundamental, is how do I sell my product further and faster? And having the building blocks, having registration capabilities or paying agent capabilities in more countries, and having the network, whether you sell via a banking hub or via IFAs or family offices, they normally have the local presence. So from my point of view, those are the positives that come out now on the negatives and it could be that there's some changes in reporting style and myself sitting there as a CXO and an asset manager might say well I want everything the same well uh, yes we could do that or we could give you something better or faster or perhaps cheaper So on the reporting areas, there could be different tips that come out or capabilities that come out, whether it's in tax reporting or in fund reporting, in fund distribution reporting. Great. So you talk about servicing, enhanced geographical
0: coverage which supports the distribution model of the asset manager, maybe some risk on the servicing model or some of the reporting that's being done. Any other impact you can identify, or are? subject to one.
2: There's a couple of things I want to say in this. The first thing is, uh, and in most European jurisdictions, including the UK, there's definitely a focus now on the governance of outsourced service providers. So there is a regulatory driver. I personally think that if you go past the regulatory needs to better govern and manage and oversee your service providers, there is a secondary point, which is as an asset manager, you really want to be screening the environment continually for either opportunities or to future proof or protection to get any risks to your business and i think you don't need the regulator to tell you that this i think is good should be good business practice what i do think is interesting is really from the buy side is what do you, A, want from your service provider? And that's really linked to your strategic kind of work that you should be doing over sort of five or 10 years and trying to work some of that out. And then looking at your service providers and saying, well, where are they going? Where are they investing in their business? Why are they acquiring these companies? Is it a defensive play or is it actually a growth play? And I think when you start to look through the marketplace and really just keep up to date with what's going on, I think that will help you also with your outsourcing strategy. The other thing I wanted to say is that if you look through the companies, because we do a lot of work on tendering for clients who go out to go to markets and are looking potentially to move their TPAs, and what we find is that you can go through the considerations of the product the functionality the cost the risk the servicing but there's a whole lot of components that you would evaluate in a tender process the one thing that actually comes out i wouldn't say surprisingly but culture is a very important criteria that sometimes is under understated and the culture i mean the cultural fit between the asset manager and the the tpa or the third party administrator whereby the whole process and the engagement and the chemistry between the two it's really important because we talk about the fit and where are you going into the future what are your intentions what are your investment strategy to meet and align with the asset manager's journey i think that's really important and culture will tell you a lot is it a short-term acquisition is it just a defensive play is it just plugging some gaps or is there a genuinely a strategy that the fund service provider has that would be attuned or aligned to the asset manager. I'll just give you a small example. If you're an asset manager that's focusing in alternatives and you want to go into Asia or into other markets, the question you need to ask is, if that's your primary strategy, then is your fund service provider A, capable, and B, is it actually aligned into the future with where you're going, and C, is there a cultural alignment in terms of values and the people you're going to go on that journey with?
0: So we're talking about... Moving from a position of merely working with the service providers to lifting up the conversation that's talking about having a strategy and a governance around the management of your service providers. Our experience, our collective experience tells us that this conversion and transaction of service providers pose significant operational risks. How do you prepare for that? How do you mitigate that?
1: I think that one is just following on from what Stephen's saying. Strong governance already helps because then you have a framework of what's required and therefore if something like this affects you where there's a change or there is a forced transition, then you have a methodology which is the fundamentals in your operations and you just have to transition that into the new environment but you're not starting from zero. This is a a major issue, I think, in the marketplace where many people put this off. We will make the decision that when we move. And, of course, Stephen and I are very much involved in many RFPs for mass management firms where they make the decision. But this is not really them making the decision. This is being forced upon by an external situation. And therefore, having at least a pocketbook, a guidebook, which gives you what do I do, who do I call, where's the red light to call and say, I need a bit of help. I know that I've got this, it's working fine, I really don't want any change. I accept that this is going to happen and it's going to impact me. How can I get this and how can I mitigate the risk? So having a strong governance model helps. And by that, I don't mean, at least from my point of view, that you have a super-duper chief compliance officer. I mean that the robustness of the operational framework. That's the key. If you're going through a scenario or you've gone through a scenario, have you documented it? And most people haven't bothered. So this is sort of the hard draft. You need to have this basis. You need to think about the world as is today, where there's a bunch of friendly and unfriendly activities going on. And keep that in mind that it's going to affect you. And by the way, for an asset manager, it's not just their service provider, it could be their distribution channels which get affected. So there are different areas to look at in this field. If you understand some of the consequences of the change, new legislation like DORA, which is resilience in the UK. I mean, this is a fundamental thing which has got nothing to do with, if you like, the many activity as such, but it does. And part of, if you go back to the first question, part of that defensive strategy of the service providers is how do we manage with these new legislation ourselves to support our clients? And as an asset manager, you need to think about well, what does this mean? To me, now this is happening. now. Does that mean that the m and helps me because I have a better, more robust service provider who's going to give me that depth that I need on a particular topic? Or is it creating more issues? These thoughts are important as actually doing the day-to-day delivery.
0: On that note, I may pose a question to Stephen. Are we talking then about a lift up of the outsourcing conversations from the SXO's office to the board? Dublin, Luxembourg are key centres for Manco's. Are you seeing or are you during these governance questions being brought yeah. up at board level? Yeah. Are you seeing that a- happening?
2: Absolutely. Governance has matured. Over the last number of years in a number of our markets, you can see by the training that directors are now getting, the requirements under things like the CP86 and the the Lux rules and the FCA rules. We've got plenty of rules now that have tightened up the need for better governance. And I think we're seeing it on the ground. Any meetings I've been invited to, I can really see quality of questioning. The level of independence is grown And if you take something like changing service providers or outsourcing, governance around outsourcing, seeing some really good discussion happening on the ground, which is really healthy. And sometimes we get brought in and we're asked to help to either review the outsourcing policy or procedures. We may be asked to look at help supporting the tendering process, if that's required, or or just looking at the overall operating model and governance models. Now, what's interesting in relation to what Janayad was just talking about there is They don't change their TPA every year, every few months. The fund services side, though, is either onboarding or offboarding all the time. So what's interesting is, if I just take the the model at the moment, so the fund service providers are pretty well used to bringing in new business or offboarding new business. And they're always looking typically to try and bring some level of standardization to their approach, which is, again, completely understandable. On the asset management side, what we would see is that because they're not changing providers all the time, when it comes to changing a provider, it's typically it may have been five or ten years before they move TPA. A lot of the documentation, a lot of the knowledge may just may not be there. So what you find is it is a quite a large undertaking when an asset manager has to then go and change, particularly their primary TPA, where the fund service Teams, if you will, have been doing this this quite regularly. So they're always fine tuning their processes and trying to standardize as much as they possibly can. So, what I think is an interesting point is if you're an asset manager and you accept that that's the reality, you're going to come into a, let's say, a tendering process and potential migration where you'll probably be pushed to do more standard to meet the standard model of the service provider, which may mean that your customized and slightly bespoke uh, operating model may need to change or to adapt. If you are going to change service provider, because as I said, the trend would be to try to standardize as much as possible. So I think that's one thing I would call out, Pierre, is that there are two things there. One is the experience and the knowledge around migrations may be lost over time Mm -hmm. on the asset management side. And B, the bigger providers particularly are pushing to standardize on a global level using distributed operating models, particularly to drive down unit cost.
0: That's brilliant. So we've covered why is this happening? We've covered what is the impact for this Exos team? And we've seen how the future profile of operation is really a combination of work on the day-to-day level and in the boardroom. Can we conclude by asking you,
1: where do you think this is going, Jeanette? Stephen, what would you say? There's so many things going on. The fundamentals are still on resilience. People are looking at, and I don't mean it on just the legal aspect of it, but actually on fun performance, etc. Everybody is busy with it. We have been inundated. For instance, some of my clients were heavily exposed to Russia and Ukraine, and they have had to look at their whole, not just their fund structure, but their operational structure. And they've had to rejig it. And those who don't do it in-house, who use a service provider, have had to adjust rapidly a bunch of things, including sanction mitigation, including finding new products, because some of those clients are valid and they want to still invest in certain areas. So it's this rapid movement that's important. So I think looking at these movements, whichever the MA is, and we've talked about distribution m a asset management m a Asset servicing MA, it's the speed where you can sort of settle in,
2: is the important bit. I think it's a bit of a crystal ball, right? I think in terms of MA, if that's where the question was asked, Pierre, around that area. I think what will happen is as probably happens in most markets, is it'll follow the ultimately the investor, it'll follow where the investors take asset managers and then the asset managers lead the fund service providers. I think that won't change where i think the future holds us and future is not not defined yet i actually think what's going to probably be two or three things i'll make a prediction gary if I about that i think the A it'll continue to the point where the bigger players buy firms they're buying let's call them providers in in areas of like the alternative side they're building out their product and their capabilities by acquisition as well but what i think what may change in the future is the investor and buyer behavior so I think we're probably when we start to see the Gen Zs and millennials come through in the next wave, what's their buyer behavior? Are they going to buy traditional long mutual funds on scale? Or are they going to actually take control of their money and potentially invest in a very different way? And I don't think that's re- unfolded yet in terms of, we don't know, that could change the way you distribute funds, the way you engage with customers, the way you educate customers in terms of investing and helping people become more financially literate, which is a big subject, I think, out there as well. So I think on a longer term level, the, the marketplace may change. We also have the digitalization journey with digital assets now becoming a bit more commonplace, tokenization, which I think will come back, even if crypto is slightly the markets, it's hurt at the moment. I do think DLT or distributed ledger technology won't go away. I think there's actually still some value to be got in there. So from an MA point of view, I think just take the status quo, right? So I think it'll keep tipping along, pierre but I do think it's got probably a cap as to how much more we'll see out there. I think what, what would be interesting for, for, to look at, though, is what is the disruptive forces that may actually change the face of the market in the next 10 years, the level of change that can happen in a short space of time and could impact the nature of future mergers and acquisitions.
0: Thank you, Stephen. And it's a really good way to conclude because... What I'm hearing is ties back to the podcast, which is 363 degree readiness. And what I'm hearing is be ready. Look at your investor behavior, the servicing behavior. Look at the macro and global map. And it will have an impact on the way you will be servicing your population and the
2: impact on your TPAs. Jeanette,
0: Stephen, thank you very much for joining our podcast today. Thank you very
1: much. We look forward to it. Thanks.
2: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, pierre
0: To our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. If you want to comment on this podcast, if you want any questions on the series or would like to join future conversations, get in touch with us through inquiries at algomy.com, via our LinkedIn account, Algomy Consulting, or via our website, algomy-consulting.com. Thank you and goodbye.